cousin's gift for names quite in the same way. Uh, he is renowned for what was just described here in uh, remembering people's names and uh, pastored Central Tabernacle for about 20 years and met so many people in the, the area. What I am as a superintendent is that I coordinate the network of churches that we belong to. Now, there's no denomination that is first in the pecking order. There's no network of churches that is God's favorite. We know that. We know that God loves all people who are followers of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who trust in his word, and they're all God's people. God loves them all. The reason we have denominations and that we connect as uh, networks of churches is much just like uh, teams are necessary to get things done in all aspects of life. And denominations are basically a team. If you build a house, uh, there are the mechanical people, the foundation people that do the concrete work, there are the roofers, there are the framers, there are the electricians, the plumbers. Uh, what? Five or six important teams that it takes to build a building, to build a house. And so you organize by teams in getting almost anything done in life. And denominations are just teams of God's followers who work uh, sometimes with a special emphasis to bring value to the body of Christ. Um, they uh, work in certain areas at times, and uh, they're a national church in a particular country or something like that. So we're part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, about 1,100 churches in Canada from PEI to Vancouver Island. We uh, have about 300 global workers that do mission work around the world, and we partner in that. We have a number of Bible colleges. And in Alberta, we, like we're organized by districts across Canada, and Alberta and Northwest Territories are one of those districts, and that's what we're a part of. We have about 120 churches here. Uh, they go from the Arctic Ocean to the U.S. border, from Lloydminster to Jasper east to west, north to south. And that just makes sense, doesn't it? Because you are representing Christ along with other good churches here in the great community of St. Paul. Uh, but uh, what's happening in Pincher Creek this morning down in southwest Alberta? I'm not there. You're not there. Uh, we've got another church there, though. What's happening in Medicine Hat? What's happening in Stetler or Fort McMurray? Well, we have good churches there who are doing just what you do, running youth groups, youth outreaches, meeting with people, conducting funerals, connecting with the community, and they represent Christ in their community where they live. And so really on behalf of that other 120 churches in our network in Alberta Northwest Territories, I just bring you greetings from them. And you may never meet some of them, the pastors meet from time to time uh, annually and at certain conventions and some of your leaders like at the board seminars, yes, they do interconnect. But many of the members may never meet someone in the network of churches. But we cooperate together. When we give, we give to support our Bible college because if we don't replace young leaders, uh, trajectory is that over a span of a few decades, uh, God calls us home and new uh, strong legs need to take over in leading and working God's church. So we need to train new young leaders. 
So we have our Bible colleges. We partner in missions and in lots of other things globally that we partner in uh, across the nation in representing Christ to our federal and provincial governments. So it's just good to be with you, to see you all. I've been here a number of times, and there are some familiar faces. A lot of new faces, though. And uh, it's great to meet each one of you. If my wife and I move to some other country, if we move to Indonesia, if we move to London, England, you know what we'd be doing first week we were there? We would be looking for a good home church. That's just been our pattern. Fortunately, we were raised in the faith. Uh, our parents took us to church, and that was just a great launch in life. But if we moved anywhere in the world, we'd be looking for a good church the first week we were there. And some of you have been here 50 years, as we heard just now. But others of you, I think this is your second or fifth or sixth week or the third month that you've been here. And I'd just like to say, as someone who's done this kind of for a lifetime, because I'm getting pretty old these days, and what I would tell you is that you've picked a good church. This is a good church. It's not the only church. We know that. It's not the only denomination. But this is a good church. Solid biblical doctrine, good leadership, a good support, supporting community of people, a great church home in which to raise a family or to serve together and to influence St. Paul for the good of the people and the glory of God. So you're in a good church, and I congratulate you. And I honor Pastor Duane for the good leadership over many, many years. There aren't too many churches that have pastors who have led for the length of time in the same place that Pastor Duane has. And usually it takes continuity to build great things. And the strength and the balance of your church reflects a good long tenure of good leadership. So I honor Pastor Duane and Judy and Christopher and Cynthia and all of those who have served you. And I commend you for making a good choice on picking a good church. Now, for my remarks here as a guest, I'm, I'm sort of family, but I'm, I'm, I'm like the visiting cousin or the visiting uncle. We're part of the same family, but I'm not here every week. But what I'd like to share with you would be, first of all, just a reflection on what's going to happen tomorrow. We all know that tomorrow, uh, Albertans are going to be voting. And I just thought I would tell you what's going to happen as the outcome of that election. Do you want to know? Well, Albertans are going to get the government that they pick. That's what's going to happen. Now, we don't know just who they're going to pick. They're going to tally the votes, and they're going to see how it goes. But Albertans are going to get the government that they pick. Now, that's part of the way democracy works. Democracy hasn't been around forever, you know. It came along during human history. But there are different ways in which leadership in countries and over people is brought about. Sometimes it was uh, through the uh, legacy of a king, a monarchy. In other cases, there's a ruling elite that makes those decisions, and they set in order who is going to become the next government. Uh, we 
and I think for the most part, I would say thankfully are part of a democracy where we get to make the pick and tomorrow Albertans will get the government that they pick. And we should pray, the Bible tells us, to pray for those that are in authority over us, to pray for the government, mostly that they will uh, allow us to conduct our lives with uh, the freedom of living out our convictions and our Christian practice. We should pray, they control order and try and suppress chaos in society. Uh, the keys of the kingdom aren't in the hands of the government. The keys of the kingdom are in the hands of the church. That's the way God dispensed that. And we bring the life and gospel of God to culture. But government is a, an important part of what God uh, set in order. And we should pray for it. But though democracy has not been part of human culture forever, there's something that's part of tomorrow that is part of human beings from the very beginning. I don't know if you'd guess what it is, but you know what that is? It is choice. Like Albertans will make a choice tomorrow from the very beginning. When the scripture says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think the most peculiar characteristic of how God created and set the human race in order was that he gave us choice. He didn't have to, you know. Like rocks don't have a choice. Trees don't have a choice. People were created with choice by God. And that, I think, more than biology, chemistry, the periodic table, whatever you list about creation, I think the biggest headline in creation is, would be this. If I was writing a newspaper, they put the big headings in the top left-hand corner in really big fonts. I think the big font heading would be creator gives choice. That was the headline of creation. One writer put it this way, God created people out of love for the purpose of sharing love. People were created to love God and each other. Additionally, when God created people, he gave them good work to do so that they might experience God's goodness and reflect his image in the way they care for the world and for each other. Now that would be an upside of choice. And since, as a speaker, I get to pick the headlines, in addition to creator gives choice, I'd add another subheading, if you'll bear with me. Creator communicates. Creator gives choice, big news. Next big news is creator communicates. What do I mean by that? Well, right on the heels of founding the universe and giving human beings life, Adam and Eve, God said to the people that he created, here's what will work. Now, I appreciate that. If uh, you're parenting children, you try and do that. You try and raise your kids by saying, now here's what will work. Make your bed in the morning. Get up. 
go to school, do your homework. Um, you know, don't, don't fight with each other. You know, all through your family, you're trying to say to kids, here's what will work. You can do differently. But if you do what I say, life will work better for you. Well, at the very beginning, God said to the human race, here's what will work. God communicated. He put some basic guidance in their hearts, which witnessed to the fact that um, the world was and the universe were created by an infinite personal God. His eternal power and Godhead were kind of placed as a witness in the creation. And in the heart of everyone, now they don't have to yield to it, but in the heart of everyone, they said this just didn't come out by random chance. Now, then God went about communicating some other things. Eventually, he communicated in a written way through the Bible. And all of that was to tell us as human beings, here's what will work. That's what God was trying to communicate. Now, in the Garden of Eden, the first communication that God gave to Adam and Eve, do you remember this story? In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and we're in the Garden of Eden. First communication about what will make life work. What did he say to them? He said, don't eat from that tree. Life will not work well if you do that. And it wasn't because it had poison fruit or was some, was it a person? Was it an apple tree or was it a persimmon or whatever they sell at Costco or some of those things? I don't know what kind of fruit it was, but God said, don't eat from that tree. What he was doing was cautioning people about the self-directed life. God was saying, because you have choice, you've got a choice to live the way that I have created you to live, or you've got the choice to live a self-directed life. And what he said, this is what will work. He said, don't choose the self-directed life. But he knew that he was giving them choice, so they could choose that. So he put a symbol of the self-directed life there, and he said, don't go there. Don't eat from that. Take my direction. Follow me. Honor me with your life. Don't choose the self-directed life and do what I've told you not to do. So... That's what God first communicated. What did humans do? Do you know the story? Do you re re recall the first three chapters of Genesis? What did people do? Did they do exactly what God told them? Don't go there. Don't choose a self-directed life. No, they didn't. They didn't do what he said. This is what will make life work. They ended up choosing the option that he chose them not to. Now, he, he told them, if you choose the self-directed life, in the caption that he gave them, he said, or you will die. In other words, the life that I wanted you to enjoy will die. They didn't physically die, though they died then over years afterwards, because sin takes a toll on you, and eventually you die from it. But they didn't die when they first took the self-directed life option and ate the fruit. But what God was saying is that if you choose the self-directed life, family is not going to work as easily for you. Relationships are going to be harder. You're going to struggle making choices about things like habits. 
you're going to get tangled up in things that are going to take control of you, and then you're going to have a hard time getting free from them. Also, a big thing will be the cultural, the societal, the social aspect. If you choose the self-directed life, there's going to be problems in relating to other people because selfishness always divides people. The self-directed life creates me first and it creates all kinds of tensions with other people. It's, it's hard in the self-directed life to make a marriage work really well. It's, it's hard to make friendships work well in the self-directed life. When selfishness is kind of your ruling ethic, it's hard to be a good employee. It's hard to be a good employer. Relationships are all kinds of speed bumps when selfishness is the way in which you're choosing to put forward your life plan. So, but people chose a self-directed life. You know what I'm really, really thankful for? Despite our choices, despite people's freedom to choose, that our choices don't bind God. Our choices haunt us, but they don't bind God. You see, when people chose the self-directed life, that didn't mean that God couldn't make a way to help them to get back. Thankfully. It didn't say, well, that's over once and for all. There were going to be consequences. But people's choices didn't bind a good God, didn't bind the love of God. He said, I'm going to find a way to give you a choice to get back on track. And he announced that right very early in Genesis chapter 3. He said, the tempter that has uh, ensnared you into this self-directed life, I'm going to create a way out for you. And the tempter is going to take a hit. And the one who comes to make you free from the tempter's grip, it's going to cost him something too. And he didn't explain all that. But sure enough, the God who communicates, uh, eventually, through what we know as the gospel, all culminated when God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came into the human race through God the Son, and Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never chose a self-directed life like all other humans had. He entered the human race, but he honored God in everything that he did. But the other thing that Jesus did is because the consequence of choosing the self-directed life was death to God's purpose for people. Jesus was going to offer himself as a substitute to experience the death that was the consequence of human independence. And so when Jesus was born, he was set from the very beginning to go to a cross. He didn't deserve to be on the cross. He didn't sin. He didn't uh, do anything wrong to put him on the cross. But he went to the cross innocently so that he could represent all human beings who were victims of the self-directed life that humanity had chosen. And he said, I'll pay the price for their sin. Now, when I lived in southern Alberta, grew up in a farm in southern Alberta, a friend of mine got a ticket from the local uh, uh, police officers for doing some things he shouldn't have done, but he didn't have the money to pay it. 
And so what happened, two or three of us as his friends went to court with him one day, and uh, when the judge came down with a penalty, it was $50 or something, we all chipped in. I gave 10, somebody else gave 15, we gave a bit of, and we paid George's ticket. Uh, George didn't pay for his own ticket. George didn't have any money. We all paid George's ticket. When Jesus came to the human race, we didn't have money to pay our ticket. We couldn't self-justify. We couldn't say, okay, we'll pay the price to get humanity out of this. Jesus said the price was death. Wages of sin is death, Scripture says. Jesus went to a cross and experienced death for us. He went to the grave for us. And then he rose from the dead because sin couldn't hold him, because the power to live free was inherent in Jesus' perfect life. So he rose from the dead, and then he went to his group of core followers, and he said, now you need to go throughout the human race, in every country, on every continent, in every era, you and your successors need to go and tell human beings about the gospel, that there's a way to get out of the self-directed life and the death and the bondage that it brings and tell them that if they will believe in the message of forgiveness and of freedom that God the Son has brought, that they can have a new start. And the apostles went and started preaching the gospel all over the, the Middle East, then to North Africa, then up into uh, uh, Western Europe. By 700 AD, they were in China. They went to all sorts of countries, and by 13s and 1400s, representatives came to North America and brought that teaching to North America. And the gospel is spread all over the world from that beginning of Jesus saying, now go and tell them that there's a way to be set free from the self-directed life. And so that's what the church began to do. But it still is in the area of choice. Now here's something I want to tell you. Though what the government, what government get tomorrow will be the government that Albertans pick. What do you get for what you pick spiritually? In the book of Job, Job makes some interesting comments. He speaks about people who opt out of belief in God by choice. And here's what's said in Job 21.15. The people who opt out of believing in God say, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? And then in a later chapter they say, what do I gain by not sinning? Like what's so bad about sin? Why do I need to serve God? That's their thinking. Now the tipping point of your spiritual choice is pictured uh, by the uh, Old Testament leader Joshua when he said to a group of people, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You get to make that choice. Whether the gods of your forefathers you serve beyond the river, if God be God, then serve him. The thing is that when we choose independence, we don't get freedom. 
When humans voted for freedom from God's constraint, they ended up serving someone else, and they, didn't, they weren't told that when they made the choice. God had said, if you choose this, you will die. They didn't realize that if they chose not to serve God, that, that they would end up serving the person who was tempting them not to serve God. If you read in uh, the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why Jesus, before he went to the cross, said the time has come for judgment in this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. You see, until Christ came and died on the cross, Satan had a caveat on your house. Not really your property, but he had a caveat on you that represented you and your family. He said, they're in the grip of sin and they belong to me. I have a right to come and go as I please in their life. I have a right to control their habits and choices. And when Jesus came and was going to die on the cross, he said the prince of this world is going to lose his legal standing to hold a grip on people. And people are once again going to be able to choose, do they want to be free and serve God, or do they want to continue in the old life of human habit? But that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. The physical realm is subject to the spiritual realm. Human choice just aligns you with either God's spiritual realm or the evil spiritual realm. Independence is kind of a farce. What you do with choice is that you expose yourself to a spiritual realm of influence, either God's realm or Satan's realm. It's kind of like a fly on a sticky strip. Have you ever seen those long yellow sticky strips they put out for flies? And a fly comes and lands on it. Now here's the way spiritual parallel goes here. If the fly on the strip says, I landed here by my choice, well, that's true. And then the fly, if he could communicate, he might say to you, I like being here on this strip. But you know what the truth is? The fly is stuck. He can't leave if he wants. He chose to be there. He may say he likes it, but he can't leave. He has no power to leave. And that's like the human condition when we choose to go independent from God. We choose where we want to stick, and we might think we like it. I like to party hardy. I like to live the life of revelry. I like not having to be loyal to my spouse. I like being able to take money wherever and however I can to advance my financial standing. I like doing that. But you know what people don't tell you? Is that they're stuck. They can't leave. There's no way out. There's not a way off that fly strip. Romans 6 says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? So who are you living for? Who really has control of your life? You say, I like being on this fly strip. Do you ever admit to yourself, I can't get off? When you look at your habits, when you're again spending your paycheck, on the drugs or the alcohol or the gambling or the uh, moral uh, 
indulgences that you do and you spend yourself poor, do you ever admit to yourself that you're stuck when you wake up and you think, I got to get out of this. I got to stop doing this. You say, but I can't. I've tried this before. I can't break this habit. You're like the fly on the fly strip. You're stuck. You choose a spiritual realm that's going to control you. You say, I like being independent, but I don't like it that my marriage is breaking up. I don't like what this is doing to my kids. I'm on my third marriage. And yeah, I'm independent, but if I was really honest with you, if I trusted you, I would say this hasn't worked very well. This has not been a highway to happiness, if I were honest. I'm independent, I'm making choices, and ain't nobody's the boss of me. How's it working for you? How's it going? Well, if they want to be bravado and uh, appear cool, they say, yeah, I like it. Works good. If they're honest and they wake up in the morning, as they deal with tattered relationships, as they struggle with habits that own them that they really don't enjoy, they would say, this isn't working very well. Romans says, you're slaves to whom you obey. For Christ followers, the people who choose to honor God and choose God's gospel, Romans 6 says, but thanks be to God that though we used to be slaves to sin, we have wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching about Christ and the gospel and salvation that was entrusted to us. We have been set free from sin, and we're still slaves in a sense, but we're slaves to righteousness. We're not slaves to sin. I'm slave to committing myself to do good and to honor God and to build that kind of a family, that kind of a reputation, that kind of a life. That's what you're enslaved to. But there's nobody that's not a slave. Everybody's serving something. Jesus broke the power of sin to hold you captive to death. He broke the power of sin to hold you in the clutches of habits that you can't break on your own. Jesus died to set you free from that. One of the things that, again, the scripture asks those who are stuck on the fly strip, they said, what has the benefit of all this been? And honest people say, not all that much. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stated simply, God made the spiritual side of us to be able to get to pick our government. Not like we pick our government tomorrow, but to pick the government that we're going to serve and that's going to be over us in our life, that's going to direct us as we try and build family, try and raise kids, try and manage our choices and our options and our behaviors. We get to pick the government, whether we're going to serve the enemy of our soul, Satan, or whether we're going to serve God, who has a good and a wonderful plan for your life. And the advantages? You know, I had a horse when I lived in southern Alberta for a time after we were married. 
horse's name was Major. And uh, he was a beautiful horse, but he got out one night. And I jumped in the truck the next morning. I went looking for him. And he was about a mile south of our farmstead. And there he was, eating grass along the ditch. thought I'd got to bring him back. And so I just uh, slipped the uh, rope through the, uh, the D-ring of his halter and uh, put it over the the hitch of my truck and I just started off real slow and we're just going to take him back home. Major didn't like that. Every step of that mile, Major planted his front feet skidding all the way for a mile. Uh, he, But it was a three-quarter ton truck and it wasn't really a contest. Uh, Major had to come but he fought for a mile. And I thought, you know, that's kind of like some people. They, they fight the rope. They fight and fight and fight from going where they need to go, from where they should go. But they fight it all the way. But you know, after a while, I've known a lot of people, pastored in Edmonton for 30-some years, I found that as God touches the hearts of people and as they're struggling through the relationships, as they're struggling with the habits, as they're pursuing an answer to the purpose of life, they get a little tired of the self-directed life. Major was getting pretty tired as he fought that rope all the way back to the farmstead. And I find people in the congregations that would say, you know what? When I was 21, when I was 27, when I was 33, I thought this was good. I thought I was going to connect and that this was going to turn into fun at some point. But after the time of life went by, they ended up saying, I'm getting a little tired of fighting this rope. And God says, why don't you just come home? Why don't you come home to the God who made you? In the book of Isaiah, there's a very interesting verse. It says, come, all you who are thirsty. In life, are you thirsty for what really satisfies your thirst? Come to the waters. You who have no money. This is not about privilege or education or gender or ethnicity. No. Everybody's welcome. Jesus died for everybody from every culture. Every culture needs Jesus' redemption. All you who have no money, come, buy. And you can buy without money because Jesus paid. You'd said, yes, I'll have salvation. Thank you. And they said, here it is. You can come. But I'm poor. I don't have any money. I've not lived a very good life. In fact, I've lived a ratty life. It's okay. You can come. You don't need a great record and a reputation to come and receive what Jesus is offering you. But I mean, I've, I've done bad things. You don't know how bad I've been. They say, you come anyway. Jesus died for you. He accepted you. You have every right to come into the family of God. Well, you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
some of you here today, though I'm maybe a stranger to you, I would like to just ask you, are you getting tired? Have you been wandering far from God? You actually believe in God, you know there's a God, but you're saying, I will not. I will have it my way. But you're like my horse following the truck on the rope and you're saying, I'm getting a little tired. I'm getting a little tired of drinking. I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired of the financial cost. I'm tired of burning relationships up. I actually am open to coming home. This morning, I'd like to say, God will accept you, not because you've earned it, not because you're smart enough, not because of anything else. God would like to say, I will receive you into my family because Jesus died for you. You don't come privileged or with money buying your own way. You come with empty hands and say, I receive the gift of your acceptance and your forgiveness. Adopt me into your forever family, O oh Lord. And as a Christian, I'd say to you today, daily reaffirm your choice to live for God. Live for lasting goals. Don't set your affections on the things of this earth. If any man love the, the, the things of this earth, the love of the Father is not in him. Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. You need to make a living. You can have a home. You can have a job, of course. You do those things. But don't set your heart on those things. Set your heart on eternal riches, true riches. Serve God, know God, love people. Become instrumental of God using you to serve and touch and help other people find his will and plan for their life. That's the life that is truly life. The size of your house, it's really not where it's at. How new your car is, how, if you've got money for three lifetimes. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's not where it's at. Where it's at is to know God and to serve him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To know he's forgiven you for your sins and to help others kind come to find the God who loves them and can change their life. So Christians, that's our job. As I close,